So that gospel passage probably makes the top five list of things we wish Jesus had not said. All right. How many of you love some conflict? Any takers? Don, okay. Don't mess with Don. Natalie's back there, okay. People you don't want to cross, right? How many of you hate conflict? There we go. That's what I'm talking about. I became a pastor because I like to make people happy. And that always works, right? No. So Kelly, Daniel, and Renee and I, um, we were the church staff, and we spent some time the end of this last week preparing for the fall. And one of the things we did was talk about a book together. It's this book about how churches and organizations become healthy and stay healthy. And the author says one of the most important factors in a church or any organization being healthy is good conflict. In fact, he says that you should mine for conflict. That's good marriage advice too, isn't it? Mine for conflict. Now he also says that to do conflict well, people really have to trust each other. They have to know that they're looking out for each other's best interests. They're looking for the same end goal together. They can't just take swings at each other and then call that good conflict, right? That's not the definition of being good at conflict. <laughs> Why is conflict so important? Well, he says that groups that don't have conflict, they make bad decisions because they live with a false peace. People may be quiet, but that doesn't mean that they agree. And over time, bad decisions compound on bad decisions. The false peace adds up, adds up, and it makes organizations, people, unhealthy. Thankfully, this doesn't apply to other areas of life, right? Families, friendships. No, it unfortunately applies to all of life. What kind of friendship is it if one person says something the other doesn't like and the friendship is over? It's a fragile friendship, isn't it? What kind of marriage is it? that doesn't have some good conflict if neither party is able to take some, some criticism sometimes. You know, a lot of us have seen this play out in pretty bad ways in our own families. I mean, I, I could talk about it. There's no reason to air the dirty laundry. Thankfully, it's not in the immediate family, right? It's not in the immediate family. But a lot of us have seen it in our families, where some family members won't stand for anything negative say, said about them, and they'll bail. Or you have volatile family members, so everyone has to walk around on eggshells together, and people end up tolerating this false peace. Jesus has this very strange relationship with conflict. The Gospel of Luke announces Jesus as one who will finally bring peace to the earth. So this is the very beginning of Luke's Gospel. He will guide our feet into the way of peace. Peace, finally. And an angel announces at his birth, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
But he launches his ministry. And the rest of the story of Jesus' life and ministry involves him in conflict at every turn. And at various places, Jesus warns his disciples, look guys, if it happens to me, it's going to happen to you too. I don't think that we do a good job of accounting for how much following the way of Jesus involves conflict. I, I know that I don't. It's not something I've usually thought about. In fact, I think some of us believe that if we do everything right, we can somehow avoid conflict. And that if we do encounter conflict, we must have done something wrong. I think some of us believe that. Now, sometimes it is true that we've done something wrong when we encounter conflict. Sometimes we do need to apologize. Sometimes we do need to take account of how we've behaved. But that's not always true. You know, there was a church in town this week. I mentioned to some, someone mentioned to me a marquee sign on the way in this morning. <laughs> we could talk about the value of church marquee signs. Let's just say Church of the Lamb will never, as long as at least I'm pastor, have a church marquee sign. I don't claim that kind of authority often, but in this case, I will. No marquee signs. Amen. Amen. There we go. A church in town this week has had a marquee sign that says, a peaceful church. You know, that's a great thing to work toward. <laughs> but the life of Christ and life of following Jesus seems to, better fit, seems to fit better with another slogan that I've heard. I'm going to give you the PG version here. If you want to ask me the other version later, I'll tell it to you. The truth will set you free, but at first it will make you very mad. Or it'll hurt really bad. Following Jesus as Lord does lead to peace, but it also creates conflict. Conflict with yourself, with others, and at times, even conflict with God. Following Jesus in conflict is something we all have to learn how to do if we're going to become mature Christians. If you want to become a mature human being, look, if you're here, you're not a Christian, I would tell you the best way to become a true human being in conflict, follow Jesus. If anyone knows how to do it, it's him. Conflict arises with ourselves because we take on weights in life that we're never meant to take on. So the writer of Hebrews compares the Christian life to this very lengthy race where everyone gets tired. Everyone. And if you're running a lengthy race, you're not going to start out the race by trying to see how many things you can carry with you. Are you? Like, I've got all this stuff here. How much of it should I try to bring with me on the race? But that's what a lot of us do when it comes to following Jesus. We may not ask it, but it's as if we're thinking, how much of my old stuff can I bring? My old behaviors, my old beliefs. In fact, what's the minimum that I have to believe to go on this race of following Jesus? What's the minimum I have to do or the minimum about myself that I have to change? All these minimalist concerns, they weigh us down. It sounds like simplicity, but what it's really doing is not wanting to follow the, the guy, Jesus. 
we also refuse to be repentant of sin in our lives. Sins function like leeches or like barnacles that grow on us. We give them a place to live. We become the host, and they more and more begin to take over our lives. So picture a runner with multiplying leeches or with mounds of barnacles on them. The leeches, they deprive you of blood and of stamina, right? And the barnacles, they begin to slow you down over time. And you can't finish a race that way. The author of Hebrews is going to tell the people, tells the people he's writing to, strengthen your weak knees. You're going to have to keep running if you're going to finish this race. And you can't do that if you are trying to carry all kinds of weight with you or hold on to pet sin that you enjoy. If we want to finish the Christian race, we have to go to battle with ourselves. We have to have conflict with ourselves where we are wrong. We have to train ourselves to look at Jesus. Picture this race. So there are lots of people in this race. Nearly everyone is struggling in this race. I love what one writer says, let's not confuse ourselves by thinking we're in the Olympic race. We're in the Special Olympics. That's what we're running in. But at the front of the pack is Jesus. He's the one who founded and perfected our faith. He knows how to run this race perfectly. He's the only one who knows how to run this race. He set set aside everything to run in this race. Now, Jesus didn't have to set aside sin. That wasn't something that, that didn't afflict him in the same way. But he set aside many of the privileges of being the Son of God. And because he knows the joy and satisfaction that will be had when he reaches the finish line, he endures every single obstacle along the way, including the cross. You see, the cross would have destroyed every other competitor in the race. Completely destroyed us. But Jesus achieves victory through the cross. He conquers death and evil through the cross. And He calls all of us to throw off everything to run this race. Following Jesus involves some amount of conflict with yourself where you're willing to let people tell you the things that you're wrong in and you're willing to receive it when you are wrong. You don't run from conflict. You'll stand there. You'll take it. And when it's right, you'll change. Running this race involves conflict with yourself. But it also involves conflict with others. Conflict arises with others when we follow Jesus. So Jesus says in the gospel passage that Travis read for us that he will divide people in a household against one another. Now, we, we need to be very careful when we hear this passage. Is Jesus saying that this is what he wants to do? I want to divide your family against each other. Is that what Jesus says? No, it's not what he says. We know from other places in Scripture what God truly wants is for all people to come to know him as Lord. This is God's desire, that every person would come to know Him as King, as Lord, as the forgiver of their sins, 
Jesus is saying, this is what will happen because people reject him. You see, the, the Gospel of John, uh, John introduces it by saying that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Conflict arises simply because of who Jesus is and our unwillingness in the world to follow him as Lord. Jesus creates conflict merely by being who he is. So likewise, if you follow Jesus, you will create conflict merely because of who you are. Merely because of who you are. If you follow Jesus at every turn of your life, there will be places where you can create conflict. It doesn't mean you should go out looking for it, hunting for it, that you have to love it. It just means that there will be times when it happens. If you choose in school or in work that you're not going to be a cheat, sometimes that's going to create conflict. Students, if you choose that you want to be pure and follow Jesus with your sexuality, that will sometimes create conflict. I can remember, this wasn't a huge deal, but I was in high school. When I was in high school, they had this thing called True Love Waits, where you made this formal commitment that you were going to abstain from sex until you were married, right? Some people think this is, this is terrible, okay? It worked out all right for me. Just say that. Anyway, you had this card, and you, you would keep it with you. Part of it seems a little silly, hokey, whatever. So I'm at school one day, and for some reason, the people are passing around their wallets. People are looking at stuff. Obviously, a very good education. Um, and they come, so they come across my True Love Weights card, and they look at me like I have six eyes just all over my head. What is this? What do you mean? It, it, was, it was awkward. It was difficult to talk about it, and I couldn't make sense of it for them. Now, was I really persecuted in that moment? Not terribly, but I definitely felt like an outsider. I felt like an outsider. Look, if you follow Jesus, it can be very small ways, but there will be ways in which you feel like an outsider. You will. So, this is what's happening to the people that the writer of Hebrews is that he's addressing. They're feeling like outsiders in their world, and it's much worse than what I experienced in that situation. I mean, it's much more intense, and they are on the verge of letting go of aspects of their faith. And so he writes to them and says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. He endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Listen, if following Jesus at some point puts you in places of conflict with other people, your gut reaction does not need to be, I must be wrong. Sometimes it needs to be, this goes with the territory. Now, you don't need to claim a victim narrative and say, woe is me. The victim narrative is not something that Jesus brings on himself all the time. What, did you see what I had to do for you? He's not mad about it. He's saying, no, no, look at me and follow me. This is the way to life. Suffer what you've got to suffer. This is the way to true peace. I, I love this about Andrew and Daria and, and the way that God has worked in their lives. 
I know that it might not be a joyful thing for you, but when I look at your story of what you've experienced, Daria growing up in a communist country and becoming a Christian out of that very, very hard place where Christianity was not looked kindly upon. Andrew being in a work situation in which you were sidelined and made to look on as if you were... um, had very outdated views about what it meant to to worship God, I feel like God has shaped you for this place in which you will go into a world and minister in Jesus' name knowing that conflict is part of the cost. This is what God has called you to do. Now, does all of this mean that Christians are to stop pursuing peace with others? Please hear me here. Absolutely not. Listen to the author of Hebrews. Strive for peace with everyone. This is the the very difficult thing about being a Christian. The way that your life is to be so nuanced. You are to follow God at all costs. And at the same time, you are to try to seek peace with every human being to the extent that you can. That is a very hard thing to do. That is a difficult balancing act. And only through the power of the Holy Spirit can you figure out how to do that. Following Jesus will involve conflict with yourself. It will involve conflict with others. And at times, it will involve conflict with God. The writer of Hebrews tells them, you need to receive all that you are receiving as discipline from the Lord. (laughs) Does discipline always look good in the moment? (laughs) No, it doesn't look good in the moment. The challenge when we're walking through discipline is to try to change the narrative. So what's happening in the book of Jeremiah is the people of God are suffering, and they want to get out of it. They'll look for any way out. And so there are people who have come to tell them, don't worry, this is not from God. It's all going to end soon. And God tells them, those are not my prophets and they are not speaking my word. Do not listen to them. They're trying because they don't like the situation they're in to change what God says. And this is the temptation for Christians at many fronts. We don't like the situations that God has called us to endure. We don't like the discipline that He's working in our lives. And the temptation in that moment is to try to change what God says and to flip the narrative in some way. But what we really need to do is endure the discipline and see it as an act of love from a Father who cares for us and who wants to bring us into a real, genuine peace. So the author of Hebrews says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see God. The only way that you can see God and behold God is if you are willing to stand in front of Him, to allow Him to examine your life, to see the sin in your life, to forgive you of it, and for Him to give you His righteousness and His holiness. 
to change you into His image. Listen, you cannot on your own willpower and by changing a narrative to fit your way, you will not get to God in that way. The only way you will get to God is if you will bow and submit your life to His love and His care. And so this is where the conflict with God arises, is when we have to face that decision. Am I going to let God determine the story of my life and what He does with me, or am I going to try to determine it for myself? Conflict. It is one of the hard parts of being a person in this world. It is one of the hard realities that we have to face if we're to follow Jesus. Conflict with ourselves, conflict with others, and conflict with God. But if we are willing to endure by submitting our lives to Him, Jesus does promise He is the way to peace. So do you want peace? Are you unwilling to tolerate a false peace in your life? It is only by really following Him and submitting yourself to Him that you will find true, lasting, genuine peace. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.